Hey friends and welcome to the Friends of a Feather podcast. I'm your host, Wren, and I am so glad that you are here. I pray that this is the place where you will feel encouraged by hearing God's stories from my friends that I share. Every time you download an episode of the Friends of a Feather podcast, I want for you to feel seen by God, to feel encouraged in your daily life, and be spurred on to honor Him with the gifts and talents He has given you. If this is the first time you've tuned in, or if you've been joining in for a while, you are welcome here, friend. It's episode 82, and my guest is Retha Nicole. Retha is a certified business coach, the founder of My Light Still Shines Coaching Agency, a wife and mom to three boys. I started following Retha a couple of years back, and I love her encouragement and her practical business advice. On this episode, Retha shares her story of heartbreak, loss, and yet seeing Jesus in all of it. In 2013, right before her third son was born, Retha's husband went into a coma. Pregnant at the time, Retha walks us through the feelings she was experiencing and how God intervened in her life. A lot of truth shared, and I know you will be encouraged through her words. Okay, we're going to get to the episode, but first, I want to say thank you to the sponsor of today's episode, Pearl and Rose Designs. One of my very first interviews was with Shelby, and she was the kindest, most bubbliest person. We eventually met in real life, and I just love Shelby. She is such a gift to me, and she has such a passion for creating. So if you're looking for freehand creations made with love, be sure to check out her shop, Pearl and Rose Designs. Shelby Vathenas has been drawing by hand and exploring hand lettering ever since she could hold a pencil. After majoring in mass communications and minoring in art in college, she worked in the nonprofit and corporate world, where she was always called upon to use her artistic skills. Once she became a mom, staying home with her twin girls, whose middle names are Pearl and Rose, friends encouraged her to submit her lettering work to a local stationery shop, and she has been filling custom orders ever since. To check out her inventory of prints and canvases, please visit her Etsy shop at etsy.com slash shop slash Pearl and Rose Designs and follow along with current projects and updates on her Instagram and Facebook pages at Pearl and Rose Designs. Okay, I wanted to remind you of one more thing before we begin. I am hosting my first summer series on the podcast all about the Enneagram. I have invited Michelle Dyer, who is a behavior specialist, to come on with me. And we are talking about each Enneagram number, their core fears, their greatest needs, and also how the gospel transforms us. You do not want to miss this. So subscribe on Apple Podcasts today. Okay, guys, let's get to today's episode, episode 82, and here is my conversation with Retha. All right, welcome to the podcast, Retha. Hello. I'm excited to have you. Well, I'm honored to be here. I'm ready. Good, good. Well, I first met you, I mean, I haven't met you in real life, but I first saw you or heard about you when you were on the Jamie Ivey podcast. What is that, two years ago? I mean... Maybe more? Maybe three. Okay, okay. Yeah, definitely three. Okay, okay. Um, And I heard your story, and it was amazing, and I started following you on Instagram, and then you were doing a lot of business coaching and doing some Facebook Facebook and Instagram lives on Friday, which I'm enjoying so much. And uh, I love following your family on Instagram. Um, I love seeing your boys. Your youngest is my son's age. So I feel like we have a lot of camaraderie in that area of raising boys. Um, I know you have have three, correct? Three boys. Okay, so tell... 13, and 6. Okay, okay, yeah, mine's 6. Tell us a little bit, if somebody doesn't know about Retha, tell us a little bit about you, what you like to do, and kind of what you do day-to-day, and your family. So, um, like she said, I'm Retha Nicole, and let's see, I have three boys, and um, day-to-day, I am a coach full-time. Mondays is my paperwork day. So it's just me. 
But Tuesday through Friday, I coach people in their business and in their life. Um, so I specialize in women. All my men clients probably are like, what? No. <laughs> but <laughs> I do specialize in women um, from the mom entrepreneur to the CEO executive. Um, just helping women create margin in their life and know that they can do it. I think, you know, as women, sometimes we think that our past or like just where we are now, it just may not look like we can do anything but wash clothes all day. Mm -hmm. And so I come in and show you that you still have purpose in Mm -hmm. you because God put it in there. And so let's dig it out. Let's find what it is. And um, and let's get you to doing it, even if it's just for an hour a day until you're in a season where you can do it more often. So that's what I do every day for people. Love it. And then um, at home, I'm just mom. Like, I don't even think they know what I do. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm a boy mom and I always wanted a girl. But now I know that I, I wouldn't have done well with a girl. I don't know how to do hair. I don't know <laughs> how to dress fashion-wise. Like, I have no clue about any of that stuff. So sometimes you look at little things like that and you go, oh, so God, God you're so awesome. You really know what you're doing because I would have been a mess with a girl. Okay, so tell me your name of your coaching business is My Light Still Shines. I love that. I think that's great. I think it's awesome. And I do, I want to say on Instagram, when you have Insta stories with your man clients, I love it. I eat it up because they're just like, she's telling me what to do again. I don't know. I'm not doing what she's saying. And you're like, yeah, you're not, you're not getting results because you're not doing what I'm saying. I'm like, yes. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Okay. So take us back when you first started your company and your light, my light still shines. Where did that name really originate from? That was very like me. Like I, that was a mantra. Like I said it to myself every day during the tragic time um, of my life. I said that every day. Mm -hmm. Um, I probably said it multiple times a day Mm -hmm. because I was, I was reading the Bible and I knew that God had a purpose for me, but I couldn't see it and I didn't feel it. And so I just said that. Um, I think one day one of the boys was singing this little light of mine. And from there, I just said, you know, my light still shines too, even though I am so far down in this pit. I know that there's light in me. And so it was very personal at first. And then from there, I couldn't let it go. And I just thought, I want everybody else to feel the same way. You may never go through the tragedy that we went through, but I do want everybody else to feel like they have a light. And um, and so every so often, I'll probably share it again this week, but every so often I do share the heart behind my light still shines on Instagram. And I just say like, I think it's because we get, depending on your valley, you get so deep in it that you can't see any light, more or less think that there's a light in you Mm. that possibly shine. And so um, I started the company that way and it still stings me sometimes. I'm a business person and so it doesn't sound like a business name at all because it's my, but I kept it that way because I want people to make it their own. I want you to feel like your light still shines um, no matter what you're going through. And so the coaching agency is built that way because I want to coach people to know that their light still shines. And so even my guy clients, sometimes they I make them say it. <laughs> I love it. Sometimes I make them say it because I think, you know, I mean, it's not girly, but I think because I'm a girl, it's made to seem that way. But it's really just about, do you believe that there's a light in you? And do you believe that even if it's dark, you know, God is the light still and he is in you. So therefore there is light in you and you should Mm -hmm. shine. And so how can you shine today? 
what are you doing to shine today? Maybe you need to shine for someone else. And so that's the coaching agency because that's what I think I offer to the clients is to tell them that their light still shines because it gets tough in business and personal. Mm -hmm. It gets Mm -hmm. really hard. And so it's personal, but it's not. Well, and I love that it's it's very... It's, it's self-explanatory. You know exactly what it's about. You know it's yeah. about encouraging and it's lifting up. I mean, that's yeah. what I love about it. Okay, so take us back to that time in 2013 that was really difficult. You were married and had two boys at the time. How old were they? In 2012, they would have been seven and nine. Okay, so they're pretty young. When all this is happening. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. And your husband had uh, sickle cell anemia, and he was in the hospital for um, that. And y'all were about to come home from the hospital, correct? Yeah. And what happened that day when you were in his hospital room with him about to be discharged? Yeah, so I took the big kids to school, and then I came um, to the hospital and he was in there and he said, um, hey, um, Tammy, that was our nurse. He said, Tammy said, if I could wait until shift change, it'd be easier for her. And I said, oh, okay. And so I brought my laptop. And so I sit down at the foot of the bed in a chair with my laptop. And, um, and he said, well, I'm just going to close my eyes and go back to sleep then. And I said, okay, I'm just going to look for some stuff. At the time, um, we were, you know, I was going to open my bakery. And so we were looking at things like that. Well, I was looking at things like that. And so I sit down and I open my um, laptop. And, um, and I just remember hearing he's about to stop breathing but I don't know, I heard it, but I, he was snoring, but I still got up and I went over to where he was and I looked at him and this pregnancy must be making me crazy. That's right. Cause you were pregnant at the time yeah, as well. So you were pregnant. five and a half months pregnant and then you just heard a voice or you just heard something in your spirit say he's about to stop breathing. And that's when mm-hmm. you got up and checked. Okay. So he was still I snoring. Get up and I check and he's snoring. And so I do like a half turn to go back to sit at my, um, in my chair. And then it's like, he took his last breath. Like I heard it. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I turn around and, and I, um, and I scream and I lower the bed and I'm lowering the bed to start CPR. Like, cause I'm a nurse, like (laughs) not at all. Like, I don't even play one on TV. <laughs> so I, um, oh. so I do, I, I start lowering the bed and screaming and then I like catch myself like starting CPR and, mm. and, um, Tammy comes in and they all come in and of course push me out of the way and, and I go in the hallway and I'm pacing and I'm crying and, and, um, and they're shocking him, you know, and, mm. um, and so they do that a couple of times and then he comes back and they cheer and they're so excited and he goes down again Mm. and um and he goes down again and they um do it again and they shock him and do it two or three times and then he comes back but they don't cheer this time And we race to ICU. And then I wait for two hours. Mm. I see him for two hours. Mm. What's happening? What's going on in there? And then after two hours, they came and they got me. And he just looked different. You know, th- there was um, a breathing tube and uh, he was on a ventilator. So it's just a real different experience. And yeah, and they so they got him where he was breathing again, or through the breathing tube, and then they got his heart started again. Because I mean, his, yeah, and they got his heart started, and he was breathing on his own. Okay. Um, 
all the way to ICU. Okay. Then because he had already gone down once, um, then um, then they did the ventilator, you know. Yeah. So what was what was your life like before this day? Before y'all before he went into the hospital, what was it like? It was very active, very um, you know, you had your two boys, you're pregnant, you know, you're getting your bakery going, like all this. Yeah, I I say all the time, um, we lived a good life, no Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, I say that all the time because what one of the things that I like for people to know is that, first of all, there is no such thing, mm-hmm. but you don't know that there is no such thing until you experience mm-hmm. the thing, you know? And so I say that all the time because that's the life we lived. I mean, we had a great life. We had material-wise everything you could want. I mean, we lived in a nice um, big five-bedroom, four-bath house, three-car garage. We had about five cars. We traveled um, a ton. We had just come back from L.A. at this time. Yeah, I mean, we had a great life. We had a housekeeper. We had a nanny, a babysitter. You know, all those things that uh, money buys you that you think that you need and want. And so we had a great life. But, um, you know, hindsight, now I know that it it had pockets of pain that you don't pay attention to um, because you have money to erase it. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Well, and then, so how long was he in... The hospital, I mean, when he went into ICU, did they put him into, was it like a self-induced coma that they put him into, or did he fall into the coma? He was, he fell into the he coma. Fell, okay. Uh, and and how long was so he in that? Uh, we were, he never came out of the coma, I'll say that first, but we were in ICU from September 27th to December the 5th. And then um, December the 5th, we came home. Um, we started making preparations in November um, in the hospital. What was I going to do? How would I do it? And I opted to bring him home as opposed to hosp- hospice um, because the juggling of the hospital with the two kids was already tough for me going to two places every day and mm-hmm. dividing time. And so I just couldn't imagine doing that any longer. And I felt like my right move was to bring him home. We had just built this house. And uh, it was everything that we wanted. So, And what did the doctor tell you as you're in the hospital and as you're dealing with this? Like, why is this happening? I mean, he was, we were about to be discharged. Why, why did he go in a coma? What is the doctor saying to you at this moment? I have no idea. Hmm. They have no clue. Mm. no clue. They could never tell us why. They just, it was really strange and never got answers for them. What was the prognosis of this? So in the first six hours, I think it was about six to eight hours, the neurologist comes in and he does a check and he says he'll come back the next day. Yeah, it was the next day when he, like, destroyed me. Mm-hmm. So the next day he comes back, and they've done tests all night. You know, I haven't slept. And he comes back, and he says, you should get your affairs in order. You should start um, planning um, because these next three days are going to be crucial, and I don't see him making it. Wow. I punched him. like. <gasps> Like for real, punched him like I could not Mm. believe it. He was so tall, and I was so short, and so I just punched him right in his chest Mm. and started crying and beating his chest like he he probably thought I was crazy. (laughs) And I told him to never come back, never come back in this room. I want another neurologist. Never come back. Mm. That just was really hard, and I'm. 24 hours in, I'm pregnant, we're Mm. young. Like, I just thought that his bedside manner could have been better. Mm -hmm. I mean, he, like, cut throat. This is what you need to do. 
Hmm. So I just, he just destroyed me. And so he, you know, he didn't, he did not come back. So I opted to bring him home and I brought him home December 5th and um, we got all the medical stuff in the house and then I went into labor and I had my son December the 6th. We left the house that afternoon and um, I looked at my mom and I just said, I think I'm in labor. And you had just brought him home that day, I mean the 5th. And then this, and you're going into labor that afternoon. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Mm. Hours. I mean, I think we had been home for like two hours. Everybody mm. left. Like the medical people were gone. As they were getting ready to leave, I said to my mom, I was going to go lay down. And I did. And I laid down for like an hour, I think she said. And when I got up, I said, I think I'm in labor. And... And then we get to the hospital, and it was labor, but it wasn't coming fast enough. So they said, we're going to send you home. And I said, hey, listen, that ain't happening. Uh I'm not going home because, and then I just told them my whole story. I said, so whatever we got to do to get this baby out, let's get it out because I don't. I yeah. don't have time. No, no, yeah. I can't limbo. Because at that point, you were going home, and you were in full charge of your husband. I mean, you were taking care of everything. Yeah, because that's what I opted for. Right, right. Okay. So I didn't have time to be like... No, let's wake like this out. Like before, you know, like, mm-hmm. oh, I think I'm in labor and kind of laying around and mm-hmm. in a lot of pain. And Mm-mm. No, let's get... Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. so you have the baby, or do you have a C-section, or you have... they? No, so they said, okay, let's wait it out. Okay. And so my mom and I, we just started praying. Mm. I just begged God to, like, make the baby come because how? what what else? Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's wow. those times when I said, hey, Jesus, listen, I got enough. Like, <laughs> you got to make this baby come. Like, I got enough going on. Uh-huh. Remember? Remember that guy? He's in that coma. Uh-huh. <laughs> Okay, so you have your baby boy, so you have a newborn, and you're going home, and you're taking care of your husband, who is in the coma, and how long was, I mean, what what were your emotions during that time? I mean, I can only imagine as a, you know, postpartum, and you have a newborn that you've got to take care of, and then you have a husband that you've got to take care of, and like, take care of, like, medically, how, how, what were you, what were your emotions like at that time? Gosh, I don't remember any of 2013, if that helps. Mm. I don't know what happened in that year at all. It is, it's a total blur. I write every day in a journal, and I've done that for, like, my oldest is 15, so I've probably done that for 17, 18 years. Wow. Um, but the 2013 journal, I, I can't read yet. Mm. I haven't been able to read it. Mm. I tried once before, and it's um, it's pretty painful. I'm sure. So I haven't been able to read it. So I, I think that my emotions were were pretty high. I, I think um, I didn't sleep a lot. I cr- I cried a lot, and I'm a crier anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I cried a lot, um, but silently. Meaning, um, from the time the kids were home until they went to bed, I was a different person. Um, I was happy and um, and joyful, joyful for them. And then from the time they went to bed until they woke up, I was miserable and and very lonely and very sad. And um, and I process a lot really, really slowly. And so that's one of the things that that I learned. Because um, previous, I was very reactionary. And that was my personality. And everything was very black and white for me. And I moved quick. And I still still parts of me that are like that. I'm still that way in business. I still move pretty fast. I, there's very little gray for me. But I save a lot more now. Um, and I pay attention to a lot more. And I think that when people say you should 
pay attention to the small things and you should savor things that's kind of hard to do it's a practice you got to practice that it happened for me because I didn't have a choice but now I have a choice and so I do practice that I practice silence a lot because during that time I talked to no one on purpose um, I told my mom to call all of my girlfriends and just tell them that I would I would be not talking and so I just didn't I didn't talk very much to anyone and I'm an extrovert I thrive on community I love conversation but during that time I knew that I needed to be only with God like, I could feel that like nothing else I didn't know what that meant um, I didn't know what he wanted but I knew that only he could help me. Mm. I knew that all the money that we had could not do anything because I used a lot of it in the hospital. I, you know, tried every medicine. I searched and scoured the internet for specialists and we got them to come in and and so, you know, it just when we got home, I just realized that that was all for naught because God was in control and so that was different for me because I'm a controller mm -hmm. so I had to learn what that meant what does that look like for God to be in control and so I just treated myself like a new Christian what does this mean how does this look how, how do you operate in this and he was in the coma for what 18 18 months 18 and a half months and so during this time, I mean, that's, you're walking through, now you have an 18 month old. And then what happened when, I mean, where, did you realize that he, he was about to pass it in that time period or did it, was it unexpected? Oh no. Uh, three months before he passed, Holy Spirit told me he was going to hmm. every day, um, somewhere in that 2013 journal, every day I wrote for God to wake him up. Because I read <laughs> in Matthew that you just keep asking, just keep asking, just keep asking, you know. And so I did. I kept asking. And three months beforehand, um, he answered and he said, no, he's not going to make it. In fact, he's going to die in a short time. And so then I began to prepare for that. I just, um, I thought, again, remember who I am. I'm reactionary. I'm very black and white. I'm let's get it done type person. And so uh, when Holy Spirit told me that, then I moved him to hospice mm. um, because I have children and this is their home. And I didn't want it to happen here. I didn't want that stigma here. Mm. I already had to figure out how they would deal, how they would come out of this. Mm. So I didn't want that to be another thing that they would have to get over. So yeah, um, he was here until three months before and then I moved him to hospice. How did you tell your kids when it happened? Oh, I didn't. I'm not good at that. <laughs> mm. Mm. Yeah, no, I'm not good at that. Um, I didn't do it in a way like the words that are about to come out of my mouth don't do it this way <laughs> <laughs> I moved him to hospice and they came home from school and he wasn't there and mm. and and everything was gone this is how <laughs> oh man I don't think I've ever told anyone this this is how publicly I mean my oh, family knows sure, and they sure. thought I was crazy too, oh. I moved him out of hospice my I mean, moved him to hospice myself meaning I literally put him in the car with oxygen wow. and drove him to hospice okay. because unless you have an emergency the insurance doesn't cover ambulatory uh. transportation and that would have been $500 oh yeah and this point we are a year and six months in and money is like gone we have no money. 
And um, and so I did. I drove him there and um, checked him in. And, um, and then I came back home and all the medical equipment people um, came that day, like before, right? Mm-hmm. At the I mean, before I drove him there. And so when I came back, the room was empty. Wow. And I, um, and I put it all back together like it was pre this. Mm. I painted it, put a bed in there. The dresser and TV were already in there because that's where I housed all the medical supplies. Wow. And I put all the furniture back in there that was in the garage, painted it, lit a candle like it never happened. Mm. So when the kids came home, that's what they saw. And I'm sure they were like, what is happening here? And so they didn't say anything at first. And then at dinner, um, my oldest did ask. And I said that I moved him to hospice. And I explained what hospice was. And I said to them, he um, he's probably not going to make it. And I think that was it. How did they respond to it? I could. (laughs) Don't do that. (laughs) Well, how did how did they respond? Don't do that. But yeah, yeah, they responded well. I mean, I Mm. you know, these are the things that you go with. The damage is probably years. I don't know. They did fine. Yeah. Well, they did. You were at the point. I think God prepares them. Yeah. Better than what we know. Uh huh. For sure. Um, Well, let me ask you this. So when he did pass away. I I feel like it was probably easier on them, not that it was easy at all, but it was probably easier on them that he wasn't at the house with them. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I yeah. would agree. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Yeah. Because over the next three months, everybody has time, mm. right? Everybody has time to move through that process. I never allowed them to go to hospice. Mm. Um but when um, when he did pass and 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 I came from and I told them, um, they were fine. You know, they didn't. Um, my oldest, I said, "Are you sad?" And I said, "I've had time." And he said, "Me too." So, mm-hmm. what would you tell the woman that is going through something hard like that? Of of devastating valley that she's walking through that is an extended period of time. I mean, that's 18 months that you're walking through this. What would you tell her? I think the key things to know is that only God can help you. So most of the time we run from that um, and we run to people and things and we run to the people and the things because they're tangible. We can hold them. I can look you in your eyes and have a conversation. And my hope is that you have something for me, right? Mm-hmm. And so the thing about running to Christ in those times is that there's silence there and, and the tangibility and the practicality that you would get, you don't get. Mm. And so that's really hard, but I'd say lean into it harder. Um, I think that that's what really did it for me is that I chose silence, um, over people and things. I listened to a ton of sermons when I felt like I needed conversation, Mm -hmm. when I needed to physically hear something other than my thoughts. Mm -hmm. Um, I did that. And so I, that'd be the first thing that I'd say. Um, and that takes a ton of practice and by practice I mean you just got to keep doing it it doesn't feel good and it it doesn't feel like hope is coming and help is coming but it is um and then the second thing I'll say is that whenever you're going through something until you understand why you're going through it it's good to be silent again Hmm. Um, because what happens as you walk is 
new things come alive and new things come to you. And you can't possibly think that your people know how to process them because you don't know how to process it. You know, that's why I journaled because I don't know how to process any of this. I don't know what's happening. But letting it float around in my head was detrimental to my mental space. Mm. So that's why I chose to journal. And that's another reason that people choose to talk to their people, right, is because they got to get the emotions out and the feelings out. Mm -hmm. But what happens if you do that? Here's an example. So he's in a coma. And I don't remember who it was, but it was a family member. I chose to answer the phone and they asked how I was doing and I said I'm making it and and they said well you know you just need to stay strong because Bob's uncle went into a coma and he came out in three months now that's positive right nobody would get mad at you for saying that but here's the thing in two months and 30 days I'm going to be staring mm-hmm. at my then husband going, today's the day, today's the day, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. People mean well. Mm-hmm. They don't understand Mm-mm. the why. Then they will give you fruitless advice. Mm-hmm. And you don't understand the why. So you can't help them to not give you fruitless advice. Right. So that's why I chose silence because, and then I journaled everything. And I that's felt so good. I still can't read those words. It was very difficult. Yeah. yeah. I had a lot of emotions. It just was really hard. Yeah. So that's what I tell someone is mm. that, you know, if you're in a valley right now and you feel so alone, God is there and he's going to help you. But in effort for him to help you, you've got to go to him. He does know. Mm hmm wants to know that you know that he knows yeah yeah he wants to believe that you believe enough in him that he that you believe he'll help you come out and the only way to do that is to process so process Mm -hmm. by writing um i recorded a couple of videos too and so some that may help you as well but just remember that only God knows why you're going through it. And he revealed it to me through steps. You know, there are certain things, pockets of things that he would reveal that I would ask why to, like, why would you let me be pregnant? Why would you move me? Why would you let me meet him, marry him, move to a place where I have no family, no friends? Um, Why would you do this to my life? Why would you tear every material item out of my hands? What, you know, I had tons of why questions and I had asked him all of them over and over until I got an answer and he answered every single one of them. Did I like it? No. But on the day that I wanted to commit suicide, he answered why I was pregnant. And he said, you're pregnant. I mean, you had this baby because today's the day that you want to die. Mm-hmm. And now you look at this beautiful baby and you go, well, of course I'm not going to die today, God, because this baby's so cute and snuffly <laughs> and the best ever, right? Wow. But it was on that day. I mean, I was crying and I crawled into the hospital bed with my husband and I said, hey, listen, I'm going to pray for God to kill us right now, to take both of us right now. Mm. I'm going to die. I can't possibly do this another day. And I cried and laid there for what seemed like hours. And um, and then my infant started to wiggle and I ignored it. And then he started to whimper and I ignored it and then he cried and I got up and when I leaned over into the bassinet to look at him, he looked beautiful and he smiled, the biggest smile ever. And in that moment, Holy Spirit said, see, that's why I made you pregnant. Hmm. Had you not had that beautiful thing to look at, you prayed for me to take you. Then when I don't take you, you take yourself. Hmm. That's good. Wow. Is that, is that you want? You want him to take you. 
answer that you need. Mm. And so the other thing you need to know when you're in a valley is that the answers come in different ways. The packaging is all different. Mm. And so you have to be prepared for that. I think, you know, again, I'm not talking like it's not me too. I'm a very uh, black, white person. So for me, I just was like, this doesn't make sense. How do I get past this? And so it's a process and you got to be willing to walk through the process. There's beauty on the other side. I live a magnificent life now. Um, and it, it, it's, it's beautiful and it's fruitful and I love it. Well, let's talk a little bit and switch gears. I know that is wonderful advice for you. I love that you were journaling. I mean, you've been journaling ever since your oldest was fifth, was born. That's Huge. That is a great thing. I need to do that. People don't journal because they don't see the need, right? If you're not a writer, and I'm not a writer, but you know, you just don't see the need. Yeah. But if you knew how much stuff was just in your head for no reason, yeah, it just overtakes you. And Mm -hmm. so it's like, it's like when they say, uh, if you're hungry, drink, you know, a full glass of water first. Mm-hmm. So when you're stressed out and you're tired and all, and all the things, I bet you could fill up three pieces of paper with thoughts, mm. thoughts, ideas, things. And so mentally, that's a good decompression tool. Yeah. But what does it take? It takes silence and it takes time. Mm-hmm. The two things we don't want to give life. Yep, you're right. So if you did that and made it a practice, how much better would you be? Mm, Love it. I love that so much. That's really good advice for all of us. Yeah. Um, Okay, so let's switch gears and talk a little bit about your life now and how after you went through this devastation and um, the 18 months of walking in this journey and then when was it when you met your husband now and how did y'all meet each other? So... Uh, we met through a project. So after my husband died, um, one of my friends that I had worked with for years, a guy, he's a builder and, um, I had worked with him for years. He said, you, you should go to work. Like you, you're a very talented person. You should get back to work. And so he said, I have a project I want you to work on. So I said, okay. So, and I still had the bakery. And so I, started working with him on that project and um he came in as a consultant and he he was a mess he was arrogant and he was (laughs) was, i didn't like him at all Um, and so that's how we met we met working on that project and we had to work together um a ton at the end Okay. And um, and again, it was one of those times where um, Holy Spirit said, you should ask him out. And I thought, do you know me? Because <laughs> I can do that. I'm like, <laughs> I'm about, I'm a lady. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we my don't God. do that. Yeah, that's so funny. So, so what did you do? So, um, but I did it. I mean, I did pretty much now do everything God tells me. (laughs) I don't want to come back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so y'all went out and the rest is history. Yeah, we we talked. Um, He still lived in Atlanta and I lived here and we talked all the time and we talked every day and then there was another project coming but he would have to live here and he was... um, either going to move here or to North Carolina and he moved here mm-hmm. and we've been together ever since. Okay. How did you make that transition of single woman, you know, you've got your bakery, you've got three boys, you're doing everything on your own to now bringing him into the mix with your boys. How did that, how did, how was that? <sighs> That's hard, huh? Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard for a couple of reasons. One, because remember that, my older boys, um, this is now their third go at this. I mean, their dad, and then um, they didn't have much time um, 
with my second husband, we were married. We got married July 17th, and he went into the coma September 27th. Mm-hmm. Um, a year later, it was a year, because we got married July 17th, closed on our house July 23rd, and then he went into the coma September 27th. Wow. So this time, I was very guarded about them and how that would go and sure. how it would look and all of that. And he plays golf, and they play golf. And so mm-hmm. I thought I did a golf thing instead of like a hay meet. Mm-hmm. So I did it that way for my whole family because everybody plays golf except for me. And so that's how I met my mom. They played golf together. Okay. It's the friend, um, the guy friend that introduced us. Uh-huh. My mom knows him really well. So they all played that's around. Great. Golf, uh-huh. And the kids played around with my mother and them. And so it worked out. Um, but blended families are hard. And they're even harder for women who are controlling and um, who's done it done it and so much by myself for so long Mm -hmm. so it was an adjustment and it was totally an adjustment that I once again feel like God had to make for me Mm. Um, because there are words that we say like I want us to be a family and these are your kids just like they're my kids but your actions have to mirror that. And so little things like talking to him about a field trip or talking to him about the kids staying after school or going to a friend's. And I just ran my life as normal. So I would just do, do, do everything that comes to the kids. But you can't do that. But the picture that I have that I constantly put in my head is if you have a chair and the husband sits in the chair and God stands in front of the husband, where does the wife go? Well, she goes behind the chair because the husband is the head. And so she should be standing behind the chair and then the kids go behind her. And then you say, well, no, she should sit beside him. No, God says she's, he's the head. We're right. not beside him, we're behind him. Yeah. And we're behind him for a lot of reasons, right? Mm-hmm. There's sometimes we got to go back. My back is to his back because I'm like warding off these crazy kids and their decisions, <laughs> things like that. Mm-hmm. But there are a lot of times when, um, and I keep that visual for me because there are times when I want to step in front, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, me I, too. I must be making a decision that's not a, not that it's not a wife decision, but it's really a conversation. We need to have a conversation. I shouldn't just make the decision. Mm, that's good. And there's times when you think you want to stand beside him. And so you've already made the decision. You're just informing him. Mm. You know, mm. Ouch. Him. Yeah. And, you know. and so I keep that visual for me in my head to go, what position am I in? Right now, what position am I playing? Because God makes no bones about the fact that the man is the head and we are to surrender to um, to Christ and to our husband in that way. And so that helps me because I'm, I'm controlling. And I was by myself for a while with the boys through the first divorce and then through the coma. Mm-hmm. And so I've done it for so long. And, and I'm a type A personality. I'm an Enneagram 8. Um, mm-hmm. And so I'm an ENFJP, you know what I mean? Like I know all the things I am. And, and so to know that is not to ignore that I need control. I need to be controlled. Mm-hmm. So I can say that. And so I let Christ do that. And I put that visual up and have to always question myself on what position am I in? Yeah, that's huge. I love that. I will never forget that. I'm so visual. I will never forget that. I think that's great. Really wise. Okay. So I have talked your ear off. I'm so sorry, but I, we've got to end it, but I've got three questions at the end. Okay. (laughs) All right. What are you eating? What are you reading? What are you loving? I'm eating everything. (laughs) I'm not a diet person so I eat whatever but let me just tell you this I'll tell you this because this is right now I made a key lime pie last night that 
Oh my word. Yum. Like, I want to eat it right now and it's 10 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> it's so good. Okay. So um, I use real key limes, which are a pain in the tuchus. Let me tell you, they're oh. not. Okay. They're only like this Tiny. big. Oh, okay. So tiny. And so you got to squeeze them and they're hard. And so, but that's really good. Okay. What I'm eating, but I, I don't diet. So I eat yeah. whatever. Yeah. Um, Last night we had salmon and scallops, which is one of my favorites. Yum. So that was really good. It's great. Um, what am I reading? Is that what you yeah. said? Yeah. Yeah. What are you reading or um, what have you read in the past that you love? Best Year Ever Right Now by Mark Hyatt. Okay. It's really good. Okay. It's really good. People should read that. All right. Okay. So I'm loving. Okay. I'm only drinking water. Okay. Because I don't okay. diet, right? But I wanted to lose weight or like change my I was too tired all the time, and I know that food does that, and I just had to stop ignoring that. Uh-huh. And then I also thought that I wanted to lose weight, and I thought, but I don't eat bad, which is what everybody says that needs to lose weight. Mm-hmm. But I knew that I was drinking a ton. I am, again, Southern through and through. I drink enough sweet tea yes. to like. Yes, right? Oh so I needed to give that up. So yeah. I only drink water now. Okay. But to help me, mm-hmm. um, I drink LaCroix okay. and Waterloo. Waterloo is what I'm loving because it is better than LaCroix. Now I only drink two types of LaCroix, coconut uh-huh. and then uh-huh. it has a cucumber blueberry that's really good. Waterloo, oh my gosh. I've never heard of it. Is it like in cans like LaCroix or is it like yeah. where do you get it? Yeah, it's in cans. It's at Whole Foods. Okay, okay. Um, because that's the it. only place I found it. It's out of Texas. I'm a Texan, so I love okay. everything Texas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, but it is good. really, really, oh, it's so good. Okay. It's so much better than LaCroix. I was going to say, I can't do LaCroix. Disclaimer, the 12-ounce, you know, regular cans of LaCroix are like somebody literally burnt yeah. flavor in water. Awful. They're gross. Yeah. yeah. Except for coconut, because it does taste like coconut. Okay. But the skinny cans of LaCroix... If you are trying LaCroix, try the skinny cans. Okay. They have multiple flavors, and so they are more flavorful. Okay. There you go. But if you're near Whole Foods, Waterloo, and you can try it because Whole Foods sells a can. Like you okay, can by itself. It. Okay. So try it that way. Okay, but I will. Waterloo is much better. Okay. Better. I've never heard of it, but I will. I will try it. Okay. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, sharing your story, chatting with me today. Where can we find you online? So the website, of course, is mylightstillshines.com. And then I'm at Retha Nicole on all the socials. Um, Nicole is with an H, N-I-C-H-O-L-E. Instagram's my favorite. It's my absolute favorite. And so I'm there. And every Friday I'm doing the lives where I answer coaching questions and people can come in and answer them. Last Friday I had a migraine, so I didn't do it, but I'm back in action this week. Okay. Sounds good. I love, I'll catch it. I love catching you on there for sure. Okay. Thank you so much. And I appreciate your time today. Thanks, Risa. You're welcome. Thanks so much. I love chatting with Ritha so much as she was sharing her story with us, and I hope it encouraged you in whatever you're walking through today. Don't forget all of the links for Ritha and the book she mentioned will be in my show notes at renrobbins.com slash podcast. I would love to see you over there. And remember, we're all friends of a feather, so let's stick together. Have a great week, and I'll see you next time. Bye, friends.